Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke from That Film Stew. My co-host today is Jay. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Today's topic, Supergirl, the movie from 1984, the spin-off from Alexander and Ilya Salkind's Superman film series. The film stars Helen Slater as Supergirl, along with Faye Dunaway, Mia Farrow, and Peter O'Toole, with Mark McClure reprising his role as Jimmy Olsen from the Superman films. If you haven't watched Supergirl yet but you want to, go watch it first before listening to our full review. We will be talking spoilers. Jay, this movie, had you seen it before? I had. Um, as a kid, this was an 80s kids film, and I am a child of the 80s. And... I remember it being fine as a kid. Um, 80s kids movies are... They're a mixed bag depending on what you watch. There's... uh, When you compare them to an adult film of the era, the budgets were usually a fraction of the the total cost. Um, I can think of things like... uh, The Goonies. Not a large budget, although that was more considerably on the large budget end compared to other movies of the day. I mean, I'd be curious. I've not got the stats here to know what the budget for this movie is, but you can... You've got a pretty good idea when watching it where they have and haven't spent money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Um, Goonies, I think that was about, what, 85? So maybe a year after this. Would you feel as though this... I mean, this is a spin-off, like, from the Chris Reeve movies. Do you feel as though it, it... feels like a part of that world or just its own thing altogether no it feels like its own thing altogether um like tonally and like the costume design like i do feel as though it, just like the superboy tv series it does look a part of that world yeah the filming techniques uh i mean it is made during the same era as well they've obviously taken the design cues from the super, uh, christopher reeve superman costume and there's a gratuitous Christopher Reeve as Superman poster uh, in uh, Lana Lane's... Uh, Lucy Lane, so Lois' sister. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think I feel as though we're getting too far into it. Let's just take a little little step back then. <laughs> I was just hoping to have a little general discussion, get your feelings on it, but we're going into full review mode. So let's just step back. So we're talking about Supergirl, the character that made her first appearance in Action Comics issue... 252 that was back in may 1959 and was created by otto binder and al pastino yeah i mean superboy jerry siegel co-created him didn't he but yeah not joe schuster yeah yeah because they the idea was they tried to i think the original idea was he was literally superman as a young man as he boy and that is how all the original superboy comics came about um i don't know if they credit someone differently for the later incarnation of him but this created a huge big problem especially when it came to smallville they argued that superboy was an original creation a completely separate character to superman well even even that superboy tv series from the 80s that we did a full episode on it pretty much is superman yeah and they've got an adult playing the character, but they had to, for legal reasons, refer to him as Superboy. I guess the reason why I was bringing up his credit is that this, the character of Supergirl, who you closely associate with Superman, isn't from the original creators. I was surprised by that. 
Yeah, and he, it's, I believe they had already been blacklisted and fired from DC by the time they brought out Supergirl. And that's 59. I guess they made good and uh, the original creators, they went to the Superman the movie premiere in 78. Yeah, um, and this was this is like an anniversary as well. We're closing, they were closing in on the 20th anniversary of Superman at the time when they created Supergirl. Uh yeah, it's unusual, and depending on the character history, also they they argue back and forth. Like Supergirl left the planet at the same time, but her pod wasn't as good because her father wasn't as good a scientist, so she arrived later, or she got she got pushed stuck through in a black, the, a black yeah, hole or like a temporal anomaly, like yeah. something happened to delay. It. So she was a teenager, Clark was a baby, or Kal El was a baby, and then when she arrives, he's an adult. Yeah, and they. Go with something completely different for this film. But in the comics, create she was pretty much created as a female counterpart to Superman. She shares all his powers and his vulnerability to kryptonite. Yeah. Although they did initially have this kind of a creepy, like, oh, she's like, oh, uh, am I attractive, Superman? Oh, if you weren't my cousins, Supergirl. Oh, really? Yeah. I, uh, like, I missed... mean, it was the 50s, <laughs> oh, like late issue. 50s, but... Yeah, uh, yeah, they can be a bit hard to read with the modern context. Since her initial comic book appearances, the character later branched out into animation, film, television, and merchandising. And the first time was on film, and it was this movie in 1984. But originally, they had some different ideas to the movie that we got. Producer Ilya Salkind originally wrote a treatment for the third installment from the Superman film series starring Christopher Reeve that explained the film's scope to cosmic scale, introducing the villains Brainiac, Mr. Mixwitz Pidlick, and Supergirl. So originally, she was set to appear in that third movie. Which they just trimmed down to a Richard Pryor film starring Superman. (laughs) That was the year before they released this, by the way, 1983. The original outline featured a father-daughter relationship between Brainiac and Supergirl and a romance between Superman and Supergirl. Even though the two are cousins in the comics, Warner Brothers rejected the outline and made their own Superman film with, like I say, Richard Price. Originally, maybe they weren't, I'd hope, (laughs) going to be cousins in that film. But Christopher Reeve was set to have a cameo and then scheduling or creative differences... He pulled away from the project, and then you do get a line of dialogue. The radio announcer mentions that Superman is away from Earth on a deep space mission, and that's why he never appears. Yeah, outside of that Superman poster, which you do, which you do <laughs> see on TV. We got Supergirl in Smallville, two thousand seven to two thousand eight, played by Laura Vandervoort. Yeah, more so as Kara. And a little bit of Supergirl, and you saw her wearing the Supergirl colours when not actually a costume. But for the most part, I liked Van der Voort yeah. as Kara. Yeah, and on that show, of course, Superman didn't fly. There was like a rule with uh, Tom Welling, but she flew. She could do everything straight about, off the bat. Yeah. In 2015, we got the Supergirl TV series. Originally, it debuted on CBS. It got cancelled after one season. Picked up by the CW, which is, that's the network that has all the DC shows, Arrow, Flash, Legends, all of those, a much better fit for Supergirl. And we've got Melissa Benoist playing Supergirl on that show. Yeah, um, and she does a really good job. Uh, DC Warner Brothers are still talking about doing a Supergirl movie as well. Instead of Superman. Now Henry Cavill is apparently no longer 
Superman on the big screen, they're looking at replacing the character with Supergirl. Yeah, which is fine, although it does still run into the same problem I have with uh, Flash for the films. Don't do a standalone with them because they have a TV series. There's nothing you're going to be able to do in a single film that they haven't already covered in Supergirl's at season four now. The Flash is going into season six. And I think that's why they were talking about doing something like Flashpoint for the movie. I mean, the, the attempted Flashpoint in the TV series didn't work. No. It was pretty much Flashpoint in name only. Yeah. And Supergirl does have a couple of incarnations in the comics as well. She has Supergirl, as she is depicted in this film, uh, the, the regular cousin of Superman. You have... The weird cybernetic creature from the 90s. The Matrix, that the... purple shapeshifter. Yeah. I was big into reading Superman, Supergirl, like all the DC comics in the 90s. Yeah. So I, this is probably the Matrix version of Supergirl, the one that I'm more familiar with. Obviously, my f- preference is the classic Carvazorvel Supergirl. Yeah. But I, yeah, I know the Matrix Supergirl very well. That Peter David comic run is phenomenal yeah uh, and then of course there's the power girl the supergirl from another dimension where she is just older and heavier set shall we say we better shall. endowed <laughs> <laughs> different costume she's got the wallywood circle window on a cleavage yeah it's a different costume a lot more revealing than than supergirl yeah short hair or short her hair i should say more of more of a, a off just barely off the shoulders bob and there's been other supergirls as well from like elseworlds tales and like various other versions like the one where it was um supergirl and it was the daughter of superman and lois lane that was a storyline yeah short black hair she had a black costume with a red s yeah so there's been many supergirls but for me there's one even though i do i do have a lot of love for the matrix it's the classic kara zor-el yeah which is the character that we get in this movie after losing a powerful orb, Kara Zor-El, Superman's cousin, comes to Earth to retrieve it and instead finds herself up against a wicked witch. So already, it's not Lex Luthor and the pitting Supergirl against her own foe and it's magic, witchcraft. Yeah. I like that as a direction that already we're not just getting a female Lex Luthor. Yeah. Um, and the powerful orb... It's the power supply for her city of Argo, which is in some pocket dimension. Okay, so the power source, the Omega Hedron. Yeah. And yes, Argo City, the reason why it wasn't destroyed like Krypton is because Krypton existed in outer space. And Argo City, I think they refer to it as inner space. Yeah. Or that might just be the Martin Short movie. I'm not sure. Yeah. But I think it's like I think it is in yeah. space. That's what they refer to it as. This movie, when it came out, the box office, like it's a bit of a mess. Like the way that it was it was released. Now you think Superman, Supergirl, Warner Brothers, DC Comics. Yeah. They're the things you think of. In the US, Supergirl was picked up by TriStar Pictures for holiday release in November 1984. Test audiences found the film overlong and the film was edited from 135 minutes to 105 minutes for its North American release. But what I found though, I mean, this movie was shot primarily or almost entirely in the UK at Pinewood Studios. Yeah. They built a lot of the sets, like 85% of what you see on screen, they built at Pinewood Studios. 
Now, this movie, earlier in the year, so before November, had a theatrical release in, in the UK. So the UK and Australia got it before the US. Huh. Today, that's not happening. And I'm not talking about a couple of weeks. Beginning of the year yeah. is when the UK got it, and not until November it was in America. Yeah, almost a year later. Critical reviews in the US were poor, and although the film took number one slot at the North American box office during its opening weekend, it is widely considered to be a box office bomb after making only $14.3 million in North America. Very low. Yeah. Supergirl earned extremely negative reviews. The film currently holds a 10% rating on Rotten Tomatoes based on 31 reviews with the consensus. The effects are cheesy and Supergirl's wide-eyed, cheery heroine simply isn't interesting to watch for an hour and a half. Whew, there's more. The film was nominated for two Razzie Awards, including Worst Actor for Peter O'Toole and Worst Actress for Faye Dunaway. They're not our opinions. <laughs> They're the opinions found online. We will break down what we think about this movie, and we can do that starting with Supergirl herself, Helen Slater as Kara Zor-El. Also Linda Lee, also Supergirl. Yeah. Now, I will admit here that when I watched this as a kid, I fell hook, line, and sinker for the secret identity. I always saw through Clark Kent's disguise, yeah. or Superman Clark Kent, I could tell the difference. Whether it's the hair colour, but I thought it was a different actress playing Linda Lee. Yeah, um... Helen Slade is fine. She does play them slightly different. She does have the more confidence when she's in the Supergirl persona. Uh, when the movie opens, the, the only time you see her as Kara uh, in Argo, she's kind of a more innocent, kind of dopey, dagging around around uh, Zoltar, Peter O'Toole. I mean, she causes everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, she, it's the, the, the whole movie is her fault. The catalyst for this movie, for everything going wrong... Is Carver on Argo City. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the the difference with her in the Linda Lee persona, where she comes up with the name, no idea. Oh, or she's just looking around the room, isn't oh, she? It's, right, it's she like is, that yeah. old comedy trope, you know, what's your name? Oh, I'm... Um, Men's room. Mr. Door. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. But, you know, for the most part, you know, that does work. You know, this is Helen Slater's film debut. Yeah, yeah, First yeah. First film. Um, well, the the big thing else you can pick with them is, I don't know if from her eyebrow color, I would swear she was naturally brunette. But, uh, and I actually watched this with my housemate, a girl. She picked the the blonde. She's like, "That's a wig. That's synthetic hair." I'm like, "Is it? I really can't tell." No, I can't either. And I've only ever seen her as a blonde. Yeah, even in super in the current Supergirls TV show, she plays Kara's mum, uh, and she has blonde hair. She's other. She's had blonde hair ever since the eighties. There's a movie, Ruthless People. That's a great film. Yeah, and she's in that as a blonde. Yeah, so, and Billie Jean. That's the other movie that she did. So I've, honestly, I've only ever seen her as blonde. But maybe she didn't have the right le size length. Maybe it wasn't the right. Color blonde. Yeah, but um, yeah, she definitely has darker eyebrows. Um, the other weird thing is, as Linda Lee, Helen Slater tends to be is very petite. Supergirl outfit. She has boobs. 
This is just something that I noticed right off the bat that because they have a scene with her and Lucy Lane. She's trying on Lucy Lane's bra. She's she got seems, a bra on outside her. Yeah. Yeah, and she's like, "Huh, what is going on here?" I'm like, "But when you're Supergirl, you have boobs. They're clearly there." It looks yeah, like no, they I, must have padded a bra out no, for the Supergirl just, persona. I, well, or maybe, but I, I think that's showing us that she's alien. That Argo City, people don't wear bras. Is what I got from that thing. Like, she's not familiar with what a bra is. You know, keep in mind, right, opening of this movie. So she gets in in the little rocket or in the, the pod thing. The pod, yeah. <laughs> she gets in the pod. And you see the colours, although shiny, it's like a blanket, the colours of the Supergirl outfit. Yeah. But originally, she wasn't to be going in there. It was Zoltar, Peter O'Toole's character. Yeah. So was he intending to wear that costume when he yeah, arose out the costume? Because that's the only thing that happens, yeah, is she goes in. She just arrives in, like in the costume. Si- yeah, and then she, yeah. And this is one of my the problems I had with the movie is whenever... Christopher Reeve, remember, they were making the movies at the same time, and then one of those came out the year before. He'd do, he'd have to speed and go somewhere to change into Superman. But he did weird costume changes that didn't really work, but people accepted. Like, for example, yeah. there's a scene where he jumps out of uh, the Daily Planet, he jumps out the window, yeah. and he just, his clothes just materialize, he transforms mid fly or fall yeah. from Clark Kent into Superman. And they do something similar here where she's walking behind the trees and she disguises herself as Linda Piece by piece, yeah, including a wig that comes out of nowhere. So I can go with that, that they can do that in the Christopher Reeve films, but the fact that Zoltar must have been intending to wear the skirt, surely. Because (laughs) it was the only outfit that was in there. Yeah, I mentioned that instead of being outer space, inner space, I like what they did there. So Superman arrives in a ship from outer space and he crash lands in Kansas. She comes from under the water yeah. because she's in inner space. Yeah. It doesn't completely make sense, but I no, like the fact that no. it's, the, it's the reverse. Yeah. I get a very um, King Arthur vibe, Lady of the Lake kind of thing. Yeah. Because especially well. with her villain being a witch. Yeah. I mean, that tracks. Um, Helen Slater, she had to train three hours a day for three months to do the outdoor flying sequences where she was suspended by wires from a 200-foot tower crane. A lot of the people operating those cranes did work on the Superman movies and later on the Superboy TV series. So they they know what they're doing. Yeah. I'm really impressed by how she's able to move when suspended. I'm not talking about when... There's a, there's a couple of scenes where it's literally... It's a cardboard cutout of Supergirl... <laughs> With a moving background. Yeah. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when she first, she's on Earth for the first time. She's looking around and she's spinning and flying and she's a lot more graceful than what we get from Chris Reeve. So she's putting her own spin on it. Yeah. And I liked all of that. So she's got good yeah. wire work technique, I found. Yeah. yeah and there's this, especially a moment where she, they go, she goes over the water and she reaches down and touches it. And you can see it was an in camera shot because. She physically touches the water, especially at the time. It was not an effect they would have been able to replicate. It adds to it. So you can tell when it's her and when it's not her. And when it is her, it is, again, I'm talking about where they spent the money, where they didn't spend yeah, the money. Yeah. And that's definitely where they're spending the money. Those shots are really good and they play them really well. 
But think when she's, you know, the scenes where she's, you know, she's running or she's flying, sorry, above the horses. Yeah. And the horses and it's are... All, it's all uh, B-roll material. Well, the horses the have archives. shadows. Supergirl doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> Even though she's like flying close to them and yeah. she's over the ground. Yeah. But I was curious and I watched the movie on DVD and I've got both cuts of the movie. I've got the Anchor Bay director's cut and I've also got Warner Brothers put out a DVD, like a standard cut of the movie, which yeah. I think would be the one you watched as well. So after watching it, out of curiosity, I went and sampled a couple of scenes with audio commentary Yeah, by the director. And that scene in particular, when she's flying out of the water, they couldn't get it right because the hair was too wet, it wasn't sitting right. And if it was a wig, then it'd be more problematic. Yeah. So in the end, it's a very quick edit, but it was actually Head another... In. No, it was a cutout. Oh. It was a cutout on a board that they lifted out of the water. Huh, and that's how they got that shot. So a lot of you know technical shortcuts and how they did certain things back then because they didn't have the budget or at least the, like the CGI like they do on the Supergirl TV series. So I'm thinking for the most part, they're doing as much as they can with what they've got. Yeah. Um, one of the strange things I found with the movie, when it initially starts... It's just it's just uh, titles and the credits rolling on a smoky screen, and it's like the entire credits of the film. It just kept going. It does, and older movies do put long credits, and and now we'll get a, a, the opening credits. Maybe we'll get a title, but if we do get opening credits, it'll be over the actual film. Yeah, so yeah, we're able to a... start watching the movie. Whereas, yeah. just like in the Superman movies, you're having to wait. So they wanted to have it resemble that, but not be the same. Yeah, but it just, when I was watching it, that just seemed to go on forever. And have you noticed that the movie starts the same way it ends? Yeah. Like the lights come back on at the end. And I thought, I mean, we'll get to it, but the ending was very rushed. Yeah. Very, very rushed. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, they, yeah they, had, they had run out of shooting days on that set or something. I mean, they were hoping for this to be at least a trilogy. And the way, maybe they decided what's making it hang on the trilogy is not going to happen because it was rushed there's no setting anything up she's here on earth hey supergirl we're not going to tell anybody about you and that's yeah, why yeah. she's not referencing the other movies and then she's just gone but let's talk about the big bad we have a witch with faye dunaway playing selena yeah and faye dunaway huge star well, just like the Christopher Reeve movies, she holds a higher billing than Helen Slater. We, you know, she's being introduced in this movie. And just like Christopher Reeve, he was all the way down, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, which I understand because, you know, Helen Slater's first role, Faye Dunaway, very well established, Chinatown, uh, other big, big movies of the, the era. Um, and I think she actually gets more screen time than Helen Slater as well. If, well, from potentially, I mean, she, she she does get a lot. Yeah, she does get a lot of screen time. Yeah. Um. But yeah, she's introduced. She's having a picnic with the most British person on the history of British things. Nigel. You're talking about Peter Cook. There's <laughs> Nigel. Yeah. Um. And yeah, she's a witch. Although her establishing shot, she kind of gets explained that she's only been reading books, and Nigel is the one. With the experience. Then she gets an orb. Suddenly she's all powerful. Well, not off the bat, but suddenly she recognizes immediately she doesn't need Nigel and she goes to strike off on her own. 
uh, even though she's not properly trained. She puts the pieces together very, very quickly, and it's like, I can use this alien scientific device, because it's not yeah. magic, is it? Science. No, no, yeah, it's a science. But she's able to use it for magic on Earth. Yeah. Um, Doesn't make sense, but you kind of need to go with it for the movie. Yeah, and she operates out of an amusement park's ghost train. Yeah. <laughs> it works. Yeah. It's a cool set. It's just, okay, you don't just have a normal house like a normal person? The bill on that place must be expensive. Well, you know, I found this interesting. Dudley Moore, he was offered $4 million to portray Saltar. That did go to Peter O'Toole. Yeah. But he was the one that actually suggested Peter Cook to play Nigel. Those two had a TV partnership. They had like a comedy act. Oh. Dudley and Cook. So he was the one that put him forward. So Peter Cook had Dudley Moore <laughs> to thank. <laughs> yeah. And then a couple of years later, uh, Dudley Moore was in that Santa Claus movie. Oh, and he played yeah. Patch the Elf. And that had the same director as Supergirl, produced by the Salkines. So it all kind of connects. Yeah. But yeah, um, Faye Dunaway, she's just... She, it's not a bad performance. But she's, she's all right. She's just there. She's all right. I mean, yeah, But this... again, like they've gone for Faye Dunaway as the big bad, like they went for Gene Ackman as the big bad for Superman. Yeah. So they're very much looking to follow the formula set out in Superman for Supergirl. It's just yeah. not working as well. Yeah, and she's gone straight for, I'm going to rule the world with the help of this orb. But she's starting small though. She's gonna like, you know, take over country by country. Like she's she's working her way up to the world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, she's she's pacing herself. But before the rewatch, like one of the things that I remembered most about this movie was O'Toole as Zelta just saying Squirt <laughs> <laughs> when he's trapped in the Phantom Zone. That was his thing. He's like, yeah. it tastes nice after a while. I think. <laughs> I didn't see the need for him to sacrifice himself when they were trying to escape. No, it's really strange. It's it doesn't like make any sense. They couldn't afford him any longer. I am with you, girl. Yeah, and then let they, me let they, go and go into And the they play that line again later. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's impressive that Peter O'Toole is in here. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a career highlight. No, no. Um, and Ethan, I, I don't know. Like, I, I watched and accepted this film as a kid. But then you really do see the age gap between Ethan and Supergirl or Linda Lee. Yeah. He's the older groundskeeper played by Hart Bochner. From Die Hard. Hans Booby. <laughs> That's what I <laughs> know him from. Knight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's hard not to think Die Hard when you see him. That's all I can think the whole time. I'm like, hey, it's, yeah, it's the guy from Die Hard. But you Die know, Hard. it's 1984. We've got a female in the lead. Let's give her a love story. Yeah. Because in the Superman films, like you do have the romance between Superman and Lois Lane, but that's not a main driving force of the film. In this, it is because you've got Selina. She's got a crush on Ethan. The spell doesn't work because instead of seeing her first, he sees Supergirl. Yeah. And uh, that's the whole thing. Yeah. And, I mean, when he's just Ethan before the, the spell goes on him, he's completely fine. He's a completely normal dude. You buy it. He's like, hey, yeah, I'm not interested, Selena. You know, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there is an obvious age difference between him and Supergirl. Like, is he... I'm going to say late 20s. I'm going to be kind. But Supergirl, isn't she supposed to be, like, 
bit 16, 17. Especially how she's presented at the beginning of the movie. That's, that's probably the youngest that Slater portrays her. She yeah. seems really young there and... And she's super girl after all. Yeah. Like, and she really is a girl. Like you don't think that it's Superwoman and people are referring to her as Supergirl. She yeah. is young. So I think it is a bit gross, the age gap between between the two. Yeah. But in Ethan's defense, he's under a spell. Yeah. <laughs> he's not in control yeah. of his actions. Yeah. Another big actor in this, we've got Mia Farrow. Blinking your misser though, because yeah. she plays Alora, Supergirl's mum. Yeah. In the very start of the movie. And once they leave Argo. That's it. She's not. She doesn't appear again. They don't mention her again. Nothing. Hardly in it. We've got Bianca played by Brenda Vaccaro. Yeah, that's. Uh, She's essentially the female Otis. Yeah, the bungling friend of Selena, who, despite the fact they're in a coven together, she doesn't use magic ever. She doesn't, and you know what? As a character, I quite like her because I. It's quite entertaining how Selena, she's always so dismissive over Nigel, yet Bianca will occasionally like be pleasant to him and have like a little bit of a conversation and Selena will bark an order at Bianca and then she'll like she'll scurry away and, and follow. But I don't know, the, I'm getting a bit of personality from Bianca. She's a pretty I think she's the most relatable. Go, yeah, she's she's relatable and she's interesting as a character. Zorel, played by Simon Ward, is another one that is hardly in it. And I yeah. don't know Ward outside of this movie, to be honest. No. Jimmy Olsen, now Mark McClure, is back. Yeah. Uh, this We're to believe that this is in the same continuity of Christopher Reeve's Superman and having the same actor play Jimmy Olsen, it really brings it full circle for me. Like It makes it feel of that world. If you didn't have Jimmy... You've just been told it's a part of that world. But having that same actor really cements it. Yeah, um, although, again, he doesn't do a whole lot. He just appears uh, a little bit in the middle and then uh, at the end. Uh, and he seems to have a thing, some kind of relationship maybe with Lucy Lane. Again, how old is he? He's got a full-time job. I mean, that's a good point. And she, yeah, okay, okay. I mean, he is young at the planet, but you're right. He's old enough not to be at school. Okay, you've ruined it. Yeah. <laughs> Jim, yeah. Jimmy and Ethan, and Jimmy's under no magic spell. Yeah, yeah. Apparently in the 80s, all 25-year-olds were going after teenagers. And Lucy Lane played by Maureen Teffy. Now, I did uh, read into this, and Demi Moore was attached, but she pulled out at the last minute. Huh. And this is uh, Lucy Lane, the younger sister of Lois Lane. And she's the roommate of Linda Lee on campus. Yeah. Somewhat of a little bit of a tomboy as well. And you see her reading a comic book. Yeah. Do you know what she's reading? No. The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> I mean, could they not have given her a DC comic? Like an obscure title. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. odd that yeah. she's reading a Marvel comic. You could have even given her an adventure comics because that was the... The things of Superboy at the time, like that would very have science fiction y. A nice nod. The costume, so the outfit that Supergirl is wearing in this. I mean, you talked about her boobs already, but what about the actual costume? The costume looks great, except for what, my one little problem. Like, it looks just as good as the, the Christopher Reeve stuff, but they do this strange thing with the skirt where its length would be fine, but they, from. Uh, the the midpoint of the skirt towards the outside of the thigh, it goes up in a V. 
to show more leg, and right, it actually be, okay, it it actually makes it more likely to to ride up on her, yeah. and it, yeah, okay. I've, it, even this rewatch, I didn't notice that. Yeah, and it just because of the way the line goes along her legs, it looks too short. You're seeing a lot of her thigh because of the way it rides up. I'm like, huh. I really feel that dress should be that skirt should be. You can have some tapering, but it should be longer. It should have come down more. That's my only problem with it because every time, especially doing the wire work, whenever she's going to land or whatever, or any kind of movement like a jump or a kick, I'm like, at any moment, we're going to see too much. So I guess the, the costume then, like most of this movie, is very much a product of its time. Yeah, it's very, very, very early So 80s. I didn't notice the, the shape on the skirt, but the, the design, the colours... I, th- I like it a lot. I think yeah. it's a really good costume, yeah. and I prefer it to what we get on the CW TV show, to be honest. Yeah, because the other thing the, it does... I prefer the brighter colours. Yeah, the brighter colours, uh, and the, the, the shortness of the skirt affects the length of the cape, because the cape doesn't go down any further than the skirt. And I feel like that's be- like if they had made the skirt just a little bit longer, they would bring the cape down longer, and it would have, have a slightly more regal thing to it. But... Otherwise, it looks fine. It looks good. Well, during the casting, Helen Slater shot two scenes, one dressed as Linda Lee and another wearing an early version of the Supergirl costume, which was very different from the one finally used. Differences included a headband and curly hair. Which was comic accurate at the time. No, actually, I found this when doing research. DC Comics changed the comics costume into this version, not knowing that it wasn't the definitive costume. <sighs> Yes. Because <laughs> that's the one I remember from it Crisis is. on Infinite I know. Earths. In 1985, spoilers, Supergirl dies. Yeah. Wearing that very costume. You can see test footage of Helen Slater wearing the red headband. She's got the curly hair. But how is that, though? That's So the movie's doing their own thing. They're changing the design. And DC, jumping on the bandwagon, they change the comic line. And it's wrong. Yeah. It's not what they presented in the movie. But the timing as well. You know what? Maybe that's why DC thought, well, movie came out in 84. They screwed us over on the costume design. Let's kill her. Yeah. And that's why she died in Crisis. Yeah. Weird. So tonally, you've said it very much plays, for the most part, like a kid's movie. Yeah. I wouldn't say completely, though. I'd say there's really creepy elements and then there's a bit of horror in here as well. Like especially when Selena, she summons that dragon creature from God knows where. Yeah. And it starts stretching her. But the inappropriate thing is at the beginning. And it's with actor Matt Frewer, Max Hedman. Oh, yeah. yeah. Really creepy. Like creepier than anything I'd seen in the Crystal Reeve movies. So you've got Supergirl. She first arrives on Earth. And then these guys are... These fuckers. The, yeah, two guys. Matt Frewer plays one of them. And... They're hitting on her, but not just like they're not just saying things to her. They're being quite physical. At one point, one of them grabs and lifts up her skirt yeah. a little bit, and she's like, "Why are you doing this?" And and I get each trying to say, "Humans are bad," yeah, <laughs> or some humans are bad. Yeah. And then she ends up like lifting one of them up off the ground, like by his jaw, by his jaw, you Max know, headroom himself, <laughs> showing strength that isn't of a human. And then she's using heat vision. And the guys are still, like, trying to tackle her. It's like, are you not recognising what's going on here? He's yeah, like, oh, right, yeah. I'll show you now. Also, she's like, I'm Superman's cousin. Are you now? Picks the guy up off the floor with one arm, 
whilst wearing a Supergirl costume. Come on now. And also, how does she know he's Superman? Yeah. She's got no way of knowing that. She's just arrived, literally that morning. When I listened to a bit of that commentary, like they purposely didn't give reasons why she's wearing the costume. They said it's like rebirth, like she's just wearing it. Yeah. But she, okay, she's got the costume. Other people would recognize the S, the colors. Yeah. But she wouldn't know that he's Superman. She wouldn't know that he's Clark Kent working at Daily Planet. Yeah. When she doctors that letter yeah. from him. But anyway, like most things in this movie, you just go along with it. Yeah. And yeah, but these guys do come along cross like. If she was just a normal girl, it would have been a sexual assault. It's kind of it is the most. I mean, it still is. Part. Yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> it is. still is. But it's the creepiest part of the whole movie. Alien, human. It it really is, and it it's it's an odd way to start the movie. It's yeah, an odd tone. Yeah, but with the effects though, we talked about the wire work and just use just like placing a picture of Supergirl flying over moving backgrounds. Argo City, okay, interdimensional space. I noted it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not in a space. Okay, so it's interdimensional. So that's why it was safe from Krypton's destruction. But with the actual city itself, they built that at Pinewood Studios. You can you can tell as well. It would have been an expensive set at the time. And that's when they're able to like show different uh, different perspective. You're high, you're low. They can go down the corridors because they built the whole thing. Yeah. See, so, so I think Argo City is a lot more realized and lived in than what Krypton was in the Chris Reeve movies because it was just like an ice yeah. structure. Like there were ice nothing crystals, more, yeah. Nothing more to it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it does have a very 70s aesthetic to it, though. Um, 70s sci-fi, I should specify. They don't have the... In the 80s, they had a typical thing of doing like silvery, shiny clothes, not unlike what we saw in the Superman movie in 1978. But the 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 materials, the, it had a kind of a Planet of the Apes feel to the design of Argo because initially, you know, the books of Planet of the Apes, they're a super advanced ape society, not primitive. And the initial tests for the film were using that aesthetic, but it was going to be too expensive, so they went primitive instead. And that, but that's a very like a what's the, what's the movie called? Where they have to run away because they're gonna die with the crystal in their hand. Logan's Run. There's right. a Logan's Run aesthetic to Argo City, which again is of of the time. Which I was talking about earlier, how it does feel in that way like the Crystal Reed movies. Yeah. But then they ran out of money. <laughs> they did. They did. I mean, I can't believe that the way the end of the movie was always gonna be how they how they ended it. Yeah. But okay, so the majority of the movie, I said earlier, was shot at Pinewood Studios. They did some exterior shots, like with the monster truck, when it's destroying um, downtown Midvale. Yeah. And it's, there's a threat there, but it's not, like that big, that was a big scene. It was a big action scene for the movie. Yeah. In this movie, at that time, you can get that it was quite big in scope. Yeah, today's standards, not really. You've got no. Ethan; he's stuck in the the tractor, scooped him up. Yeah, things are getting knocked down. How many consecutive days do you think it took to complete the tractor? Shoot, I'd say like four or five. Okay, twenty-two. 
because there's a lot of things going off now. There's a lot of her flying, which is going to be taking up a lot of the time because yeah. that is her on the crane again. And you really can tell. And I honestly, I will stand by it when she's flying and she's suspended. They're really pulling it off for me. Yeah. But when again, the other way, they're using the photo, not so much. But yeah, so that would add to why it took 22 consecutive days. Yeah. At the top of Midvale, you get Selena's tower that, yeah. that appears. Yeah. And that's where you get the big fight. Supergirl is sent off to the Phantom Zone. That's where she reconnects with Zoltar. He was in self-exile. That's yeah. how he destroyed, he survived. Or he didn't survive Argo. That's still okay. No, but yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He, but because he of, lost the power yeah. source. He took full responsibility. I even have though, to be put into the Phantom Zone yeah. as punishment. Even though it's clearly Carver's fault. Yeah. He was taking the blame because he was the one that stole it for his own purposes. Yeah. In the first place. Yeah. This He's, was one of the big problems I had. Selena sends Kara to the Phantom Zone. How? That was discovered by Jarrell. How does she no know sense. it exists? Makes no sense. <laughs> Just go over it, Jack. <laughs> I like how they keep referring to Linda Danvers. Hey, it's the wimp. Look, yeah. it's the wimp again. And then it's like, when Supergirl's not here, when Supergirl's here, the wimp goes. And that's when they realize she is the wimp. Yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know. I kind of liked that when they kept referring to her as it's the wimp. Yeah, these people know the wimp. That that will bring Supergirl out. Uh, but yeah, it's they play fast and loose with the rules on this one. Not a lot of it explained. There's too many leaps in logic. Yeah, way too many. Yeah, and, and I'm watching this as a two-hour movie. If you watch the director's cut, it's two and a half hours. Yeah, the very long movie. But watching the two-hour version without giving my rating too early, this could have been a better 90-minute movie. Yeah. Even though I'm enjoying elements when I'm doing the rewatch, it does feel overly long. Yeah, it does drag out, especially the stuff with her going into school, being admitted, and then she's just knocking around. She's like, you're supposed to be looking for this orb thing. Your city's going to suffocate without the power, and you're going to class. Because she's got the little bracelet that's showing it's in the area. (laughs) I am a sucker for secret identity. So I'm going with that. That's okay. And then it's the school bullies. You get the scene with the hockey ball on Linda Lee's back and she protects Lucy. Yeah. There's that going on. There's the school bullies. Yeah. I want to speak to something positive. (laughs) Because, you know, I think we've been a bit up and down with this. I will say Helen Slater, Supergirl... I really like her in this, and I couldn't imagine anybody else in this movie playing her. I think she does all the aspects of the character really well, but I want to speak to the music. Yeah. Jerry Goldsmith. From Star Star Trek. Trek. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about him a few times when we talked about Star Trek. He conducted the, the score for this movie. He had previously been loosely attached to Superman the movie. He was wanted for that first Richard Donner movie. They, of course, went with John Williams instead. But I really do like Goldsmith. And this score, I love it. <laughs> I actually love it. It is it is really good. And I, I've got the soundtrack. I am a fan <laughs> of this. So way be- years before doing the rewatch for the podcast, I've gone out and bought the CD. Yeah, I've, uh, I didn't have any trouble with the music. It was, it was accurate. It felt Superman-esque. Um, but, you know, uh, with softened elements that bit better for a female lead character. Well, you've mentioned the Superman poster already. So it's picture of Christopher Superman. And that particular track, they include 
John Williams Superman theme, but it's blended with the Supergirl thing. Yeah. Which I like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's not bad. Um, the music was probably the standout thing for me. If it I'm really is. The, it's the best thing about this movie. It, yeah. it really is. Uh, Goldsmith used a number of techniques to identify the music to the film, such as synthesizers simulating the sounds of takeoff during the main theme. And it really does sound like it's being propelled. Yeah. Yeah, it, it just really works. What he did here wouldn't work for Superman. I'm sure it would have done something completely different. But this really works. I think it plays as a nice companion to the John Williams Superman thing. Yeah, because that's a fanfare, as you would expect with, you know, the the uh, hallmark character of DC Comics. But you do need to adapt something different for, for other characters. It's like Batman. He, he has had fanfare elements himself but again very different a lot darker tones because superman goes in the light batman in the dark and then everyone else kind of falls into a gray area between the fanfares <laughs> well the soundtrack has been released twice in 1985 and an extended version in 1993 it has also been referred by critics as one of the only redeeming qualities of the film <laughs> so for us it's our favorite part of the film yeah but to others the only redeeming quality yeah so if we were to rate this film out of five yeah and you can go first <laughs> i uh i'm gonna be completely honest this was a real hard watch for me as an adult uh, I'd have to give it a one. Wow. It was, uh, it, you know, the movie's runtime's an hour and 45 minutes. It took me about two and a half, three hours to get through. Because I had to keep stopping to like just, <laughs> okay. Oh, All right, let, let's, let's, uh, let, let me, uh, let me go get something to eat and I'll come back and, and work my way through. And it's, I, 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 I figured out what it was and it's, it's, uh, it was symptomatic of superhero films until we got to uh, basically the Marvel era, which is the, they don't explain anything. Things happen just because there's the, the character development is non-existent for the villain and the hero. And uh, like clothes materializing out of thin air, she lands on Earth, immediately has control of all her powers. Selina gets this orb and immediately has control over magical powers and seems to be able to do things at will, despite the fact she should have no idea what this ball is. It didn't come with an instruction booklet. It's just all of the errors they make, especially with a kid's film. They're talking down to kids, ah, we don't need to explain that because it's a kid's movie. Who's watching this? It's, it was a real struggle for me. Okay, <laughs> I had a slightly better experience. Now, as a kid, I watched this movie a lot. Yeah, I really did. As a as a companion to the Superman movies back then, I think I probably enjoyed it more because we didn't have as much as we have today. And yeah. I know that I am carried a little bit by nostalgia. I will stand by Helen Slater as Supergirl, the costume and the score. They're three important things for me in a superman film and they absolutely nail all three yeah there's problems throughout the whole movie the villain but i'm still gonna stand by a three out of five i will say this is the best 
Let me finish. It's the best spin-off superhero film. I'm talking better than Elektra, better than Steel, the Shaq O'Neal <laughs> movie, better than Catwoman with Halle Berry. Oh, so this, awful. I will say on record, Supergirl 1984 is the best spin-off superhero film. Yeah, I can't argue with that because all those <laughs> other ones are all god-awful as well. But this one's better. Yeah, I Because I, I did watch it as a kid. I remember enjoying it as a kid. I may have seen the shorter version. I may have seen that, uh, you know, 100-minute version that was released. But yeah, just this time around, we're spoiled. We're spoiled by modern films. We've just had Aquaman and Shazam and Avengers Endgame and Captain Marvel and the Umbrella Academy on TV. I've just watched for a second time. And... Even the Supergirl TV series, we've currently got John Cryer as Lex Luthor, and he's doing a really good job. Yeah, and with that, you have Martian Manhunter as an ongoing member of the show. You have her sister, and you have a lot of better, like a stronger elements. It's just a, a better realized vision of what the character is, which you can do on TV because you have more hours to fill for character progression, but it's everything they do now with superheroes, which are comic accurate, that they didn't do with her. I mean, there wasn't even kryptonite in this ep- in this film. Oh, that's a good point. No kryptonite. Yeah. She didn't seem to have any weaknesses, even though well, magic, magic is supposed to be one. Which is a weakness for Superman as well. Yeah, but you know, when she fights the invisible creature in the middle there... And she's been stretched... No, that's at the end. Oh, that's in okay. the middle. Yeah. She's fighting one that's invisible. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It it knocks her through a lamppost, which she then flies up into the clouds. Somehow catches electricity, which she just points at it and strikes out. That's not how science works. What about when she's first discovering her powers? I think we're getting back into it again. <laughs> when she's first discovering her power, her powers. Sorry, and she's when she's first discovering her powers. She's by the lake and she picks up that little flower and she uses a not heat vision, heat vision but something to help the flower grow and it yeah. i don't know yeah because it doesn't grow it just opens but that's right but i can she, tri- yeah, but i can trick myself yeah. into thinking she's used but ultraviolet she's using light her to, powers that's yeah. what she's doing that's yeah. what she's doing Whereas, but then i mean come on like you know if we're gonna be if we're throwing dirt what about in superman 2 where you got superman in the fortress of solitude and he pulls that the plastic star, s from his chest the next what even s. is that what is that? We don't know. And this is and it's the things they started in Superman, which I feel they continued in Supergirl, of the, we'll just have them powers for no reason. I can kiss away your memory. You know what? Do you know what I'm going to blame? <laughs> the Salkinds. Yeah. Because they're, they're across all these movies, the Superboy TV show, it's all them. Yeah, yeah. They're the ones who decide to give them powers out of left field and not bother to explain where they came from. Well, there you have it. <laughs> That's it for our episode all about Supergirl. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Jay, thanks for being on the show today. (laughs) Thank you. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.